This episode was recorded during the dual WGA and SAG After Strike. As fans and content creators, we stand in solidarity with the creatives currently on strike. There is power in a union. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are still in that galaxy far, far away, looking at the life and times of Ahsoka Tano, this time in Star Wars Rebels, the follow-up series to the Clone Wars. And boy, when this show premiered, people were not happy because... After the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney in 2012, Cartoon Network decided uh, we don't want this Disney-owned show on our network and eventually canceled it. This was in Season 5 of Clone Wars, which ended, as we talked about last week, with Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. Season 6 would not premiere until 2014 on Netflix. At the same time, the first series to be produced under the Disney umbrella comes Star Wars Rebels. And the Clone Wars fans were just wondering, why not just continue Clone Wars? Clone Wars is popular. It was one of the most popular shows on Cartoon Network. Don't you want to have those already established Clone War fans to watch your network? And I guess Disney disagreed because they wanted to start from scratch. Keep in mind, Disney did scratch the entire EU when they bought Lucasfilm to start Star Wars with a fresh slate. And I'm sure uh, as a fan of the original EU yourself, you probably were not happy about that either. Um, Well, I was not happy about it, but I can tell you that... um... You know, I was very deep into uh, con- conventions at the time. I was constantly going to conventions. And um, I talked to a lot of the EU writers at the time. And right at the time that they made sure that the... Um, EU was absolutely no longer canon. Uh, Boy, were the previous EU writers very angry about that. (laughs) I had some very interesting conversations (laughs) with some of the uh, more well-known of the uh, EU writers at the time. And uh, I'm not going to name any names. Or give any hints, but some of those people were quite angry about that. Some of them uh, and were I don't back. blame them. Some of them were brought back. Disney did bring some of them back to write new books in the new EU. Uh, one of them to write a new canon version featuring the character he created. We'll talk about him in a little bit. This is a Rebels episode. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, yeah, Rebel started in 2014 with a new team taking place 
five years before the Luke Skywalker destroyed the Death Star, five BBY before the Battle of Yavin. Around the, I mean, if you're talking about other TV shows, it would be the same time as Andor. And looking at Rebels and looking at Andor is apples to oranges. One is a kid show and one is obviously not. The thing is, is that we talked last week in our Clone Wars episode about how I felt that the Clone Wars was the least interesting part of the Clone Wars series. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm feeling like Rebels made the mistake of making the Rebellion the least interesting part of Rebels. Granted, we only watched maybe a fourth of the of the series for this one, so we did miss a lot of the storytelling. But again, much like Clone Wars, it's really the interactions between the other characters. And specifically, this one cuts the, the characters down considerably. Because in the Clone Wars cartoon, you had Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka doing one thing, and then you had Padme doing another thing, and then you had the clones doing another thing, and then you had Maul, and you had the the, um, the bounty hunters, and then you had Dooku and Palpatine and all these different characters from the prequel trilogy and at any time in any episode, you could switch to these characters doing a completely different thing than what you saw in the previous episode. Rebels keeps it tight to this crew of six. And they are the main characters throughout the whole show. So at least you're following the same six characters throughout the whole show. That is a plus in my book. Usually that is a plus, yes. But the problem comes in when, um, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The problem comes in when you don't really care about any of those characters. At Hmm. least in Clone Wars, I found that when an episode was partially focused on a character I didn't much care about, at least part of the episode would be focused on a character I did care about. Hmm. And the problem I found with Rebels is there were only like two characters I really cared about. And they were not the ones that got the majority of the screen time. At least of the episodes that we saw. Well, no, I think just in general. um, I found Zeb to be pretty cool. And um, Sabine who I'm I'm not going to lie to you for the longest time I thought that was Satine from Clone Wars come back to life because why why would you just name your other Mandalorian one letter off from your old Mandalorian mm-hmm. in a kids show I mean I am I am a grown ass adult and I'm I'm not that you know, blame Filoni. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm saying. I am blaming Filoni. Like, <laughs> why why would you do that? You have an entire galaxy full of names. Pick one that's not just a single letter off for your Mandalorian. That's being like, oh, what am I going to name this character? I'm going to name him Obi Win. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that's why why would you just set up people for confusion like that? 
I literally thought that was Bo-Katan's sister come back from the dead for a while, just in hiding. And then I was like, oh, no, apparently not, because th- there's, like, alive parents and stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, because, like, eventually that chick ends up with the the dark saber as well. And I'm like, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we unfortunately, we did have to skip over the dark saber episodes just to otherwise we probably would not have this episode recorded in time. Uh, I do want to come back to that at a, at a different at a different time though, because Sabine is one of my favorite characters in the series, and I want to give her the spotlight one day. Yeah, but I but I'm just saying like, and you know, this is an episode about Ahsoka, and we watched basically all the Ahsoka episodes. She's not in that many. Not really, and so you know, I like Ahsoka as we've established, but. She's not in there, and most of this is about boring punk Jedi kid and his boring punk sort of Jedi master, neither of whom I could give the slightest crap about. Yeah, well, let's 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 get into it. So our our ghost crew, the ghost, we have uh, our captain Hera. A, a Twi'lek. We have her partner. It's never established if they're married or not, but her romantic partner, Jedi Kanan. Uh, Zeb, who's like their big strong guy. We mentioned S- Sabine, a Mandalorian, who is also a weapons expert, who is also an artist. The greatest character in the history of this franchise, murder droid Chopper. Yeah, and- no, Chopper's pretty good. I like Chopper. He's my favorite murder droid. And our our main character, our audience surrogate, the one most of these episodes are built around, Jedi Padawan Ezra Bridger. I just kept wanting to make better than Ezra jokes. Everyone's already has. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I mean, Ezra... There has been issues with with the series, mostly surrounding Ezra, because this is the same. Ezra is the same age as Luke and Leia in these in this timeline. So if Luke is supposed to be the New Hope, what is Ezra supposed to be? If he's also a Force sensitive kid training to be a Jedi, you know? Yeah, I'm, the thing is, here's the other thing. The way this animation is done, and we've talked about the Star Wars animation before, the way this animation is done, I had no context for how old any of these characters were supposed to be. Like, I thought Hera was supposed to be another teenager until she's, like, hooking up with the old Jedi dude partway through the series. Because that came out of nowhere for me because of the way we were skipping around. Yeah. We missed a lot of the setup, at least I did, because I hadn't seen most of the series except the episodes you sent me to watch for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of came out of nowhere for me that they were a couple, and I had thought she was like the same age just like Ezra and Sabine, who are, I believe, supposed to be teenagers. Yeah, I mean, I mean Ezra definitely is. I have no idea 
what Sabine is supposed to be, except that she decorates her room like a weirdo 15-year-old. Yeah, and she colors her hair a lot. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have purple hair, so, and I'm in my 40s, so, you know, it's like, that, that, that's not a thing anymore, but, like, she, she colors her room like, you know, the boy version of Lisa Frank. (laughs) <laughs> like, remember the boy version of Trapper Keeper? Mm. Like, there was the Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper, and then there was, like, the Hot Wheels Trapper Keeper or whatever for boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, her room is kind of decorated like the boy version of Trapper Keeper from when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and, like, I don't know why, but her her... Her uh, Beskar armor, which, by the way, she has the worst Beskar armor because it doesn't actually protect anything vital. No, I think it's just best. It's just armor to have armor because Mandalorian. Yeah, I don't know if Clan Wren just doesn't have any Beskar left. Like if they're low on Beskar and they're just like, here's a brooch or something. (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> like your Mandalorian here's like a tiny dime size piece of Beskar to wear. On. I mean, the re- really the only reason we're doing Rebels is because these characters are going to show up in the Ahsoka show. Yeah. I mean, Zeb has already shown up. He was in Mandalorian season three. Yeah. So these they're bringing these characters back. Ahsoka seems to just be the continuation of this show. And um, Filoni has already said that outright. They have asked Filoni, like, is is this just uh, Rebels slash Clone Wars continuation? And he said, yeah. So the, that that's been confirmed. The Filoni verse, man, the Filoni verse. And I mean, I'm kind of OK. You know, once again, we are recording this during the SAG-AFTRA slash WGA strike. We support the strikers. Do not take this as us promoting the studio here. But the thing I'm interested in seeing in the Ahsoka show um, is that Filoni's live-action stuff way better to me than the cartoon stuff. And I don't know if it's because he's allowed to uh, make it for like adults. Mm-hmm. I was, I was watching the the show and the other occupant of my house walked through and went, I don't know who wrote this script, but this is awful because it's, it's such a like, Hello, you. You have just walked into the room. Yes, I have. Please let us go defeat the Empire. Like, it is such stilted dialogue. But also, it's a show for seven-year-olds. You have to, like... Yeah. But But also, look at what Clone Wars was able to get away with on Cartoon Network. And then remember that Rebels was made for the Disney Channel. Yeah. But, I mean, remember, we talked about how I didn't really feel that engaged with Clone Wars either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel engaged 
with the live-action stuff that Filoni has put out. When we have talked about those shows, I have been very engaged by those shows. And I am glad that I got introduced to things like the Inquisitors in live action because I could take them seriously in Obi-Wan, which is was my introduction to the idea of the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. They came off as very intimidating and a threat in Obi-Wan. When you see them in Rebels, they are just the goofiest nonsense with their helicopter lightsabers and their inability to get anything done. Yeah, they're borderline incompetent. They are worse than stormtroopers. Like the only one. Um, okay. Putting it all on the table, we skipped season one entirely. I just showed Kiki um, the Disney XD YouTube channel has a 30 minute recap of season one. And I showed that to Kiki because season one is the is not that good. It's very it's a bunch of adventure of the week episodes. And then you finally get to the season finale where it actually starts to get good, where everything starts coming together and Ahsoka shows up. Really, the only season one episode we watched was because Paul Rubens was in it and he had just passed away. Yeah. And we can talk about that in a minute, but yeah, go ahead. So like, so like we just, for all, for all intents and purposes, we skipped straight to season two. So we kind of lose what I consider to be the best of the Inquisitors, which is the Grand Inquisitor, which we did see in the Obi-Wan show, Mr. Bald White Skin Guy. So he actually does come off as threatening in season one, but that's about it. Like Grand Inquisitor is probably the best thing about season one. And we don't get much else in here other than adventure of the week up until the season finale which is fine if you're doing this that way but coming up having this being the next stage after the clone wars is kind of a downgrade yeah the the thing about it is that you know we get to things like when they're trying to enter the sith temple yeah And the Inquisitors show up and they're just like helicoptering around on their lightsabers. And I'm going like, this is the goofiest thing I have ever seen. Like, I can buy the Force doing a lot of things. I can even buy the weird Chakram lightsabers. Those were kind of cool in live action. Mm -hmm. But for some reason in animation, the stuff they make them do is just the weirdest thing. I mean, they do address that in, in one of the season one episodes where Ezra looks at Kanan and says, can yours do that? Yeah, I, I, I saw that bit. It's in the it's in the recap and it's it's kind of a funny line. But. It's. It's so weird, you know, you can 
you can buy that, you know, it was so cool in the prequels when Maul pulls out his lightsaber and it goes double bladed and turns into a lightsaber staff. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was, I remember watching that in theaters and going like, okay, that's really super cool. And then, okay, the upgrade to that is you can have it turn in a circle and that is instead of spinning it like Maul does you can have it just automatically turn in a circle and deflect laser blasts I mean that okay, is that's cool mm-hmm. you know you can do that but then all of a sudden doing like this like weird Mjolnir stuff where like the lightsaber suddenly becomes a method of helicopter aerodynamics or so. I don't know. It it's the one thing about the force that suddenly stretches credulity for me. And apparent I mean, from what I've seen in one of the trailers, we're getting that back. Oh no, 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 no. In the in, in the Ahsoka series. So get ready for more of that now in live action. No, I don't want to see that. But yeah, let's uh, you know, yeah. I mean, Ezra as a character is kind of boring. He is the kid character, but they do show that he has great powers and great potential. He seems to be, have this innate ability to communicate with animals, including uh. Characters that we did see in the Mandalorian, the space whales, the, the Pergil, which I was very shocked to see them in, show up in the Mandalorian. But yeah, I mean, there's that one scene in season three where Grogu is looking out and then he sees the space whales. So, yay, they're back. Which was the first hint that, oh, oh, we are continuing Rebels, aren't we? <laughs> well, that was a thing that I was just like, oh, space whales. Weird. And then everybody was like, oh, my God, space whales. And I was like, what, what, why are y'all freaking out? And they're like, it's from the cartoon. And I'm like, shut up about these freaking cartoons. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, I, I want to get the, the, the joke out there. You know, does this make Ezra a Disney princess? Because he can talk to animals. I mean, I, you know, I think it it makes him more like a Disney prince because he's kind of boring and has no personality. Hmm. Eh, fair enough. So yeah, so let's get back to uh, the Sith Temple. So yeah, they they find out about Darth Vader. He's chasing them with the Inquisitors. Inquisitors. They want to find out more about Vader. So they go to the Jedi Temple on Lethal, which is Ezra's home world. They find they they're able to communicate with with Yoda, and he says to go to this to this Sith Temple on on another world. And they end up going there. Somehow Darth Maul returns again. Just can't get rid of this guy. As I said last week, they painted themselves into a corner because this came out before the final season of The Clone Wars did. So they had to find a way to to get Maul to be alive at the end of Clone Wars so this episode makes sense. 
Yeah. Which is why Maul just kind of, you know, wanders off in a ship. Yeah. So they go there. They're trying to find this Sith holocron that's going to give them the information to destroy the Empire, destroy the Sith, discover the secrets of Darth Vader. To of apparently, uh, Ahsoka learns while in the Jedi Temple, she gets a vision of Anakin, and the, and the vision turns into Vader. So she kind of already knows that Anakin is Vader at this point. So here comes Maul. Maul wants a new apprentice because always two there are, a master and apprentice. So he wants to turn Ezra to the dark side because there needs to be two to get the Sith holocron to get the answers that they're looking for. Here comes our Inquisitors. Here comes our, here comes Vader. And the, the two big shockers, I guess you could say this one they decide to maul blinds Kanan, just struck him right in the face with his lightsaber. But I do like that the fight between the, you know, the, the three-way fight between Maul, Ahsoka, and Kanan, at least that's animated well. Yeah, it is the one thing that I will give the cartoons is that the fight scenes are very well animated. Yeah. So they get the Kane is blinded, but he's still somehow using the force to keep fighting. They're getting uh, Ezra gets the Sith holocron. Turns out the Sith temple is a battle station, a proto Death Star, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what what the. Uh... I don't really know what the capabilities of this thing is, but. One thing I did, kind of, I mean, there's one thing that, that 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 it's very blatant and they throw it in your face. You can tell that this episode came out after The Force Awakens came out. Because Ezra picks up a lightsaber that looks exactly like Kylo Ren's. Yeah, I, I miss that, honestly. Yeah. But you can you can also you can also tell um I mean of course the later episodes at the end definitely uh came out because it came out afterwards because they're using uh clips of Kylo Ren's voice and Ray's voice and Jen Erso, actually. So yeah, Rogue One is also included in, in that scene. Well, yeah, we we'll, we'll talk about there. Yeah, later. But the the main thing, the main thing people tuned into this to the to this episode, Twilight of the Apprentice, is the match everyone has wanted to see, Ahsoka versus Vader, the confrontation, the Apprentice lives, and. <laughs> A scene so nice they did it twice because, I, and I didn't make the comparison when it came out, this is a mirror image to the exact same fight that we saw in the Obi-Wan series with Obi-Wan and, and Vader. The difference is, is the difference is that with Obi-Wan, he's very accepting of his of, of the death. You know, it's like, 
then my friend is truly dead. Goodbye, Darth. But Ahsoka goes, I will avenge Anakin's death. And it is one it is one of the very, very few amazingly cool top tier moments in the series is Ahsoka saying, you know, Anakin is dead. I will avenge his death. And then Vader, James Earl Jones coming in to do the voice. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Pulls out the lightsabers and we get this this great fight scene between Ahsoka and Vader. And it's just I, I, it cannot be described. You, you I mean it's on the it's on the internet. You can see it. They've there's a compilate uh one thing about the Disney XD YouTube channel is that they they know what you want to see, so they've compiled a lot of these scenes, a lot of these episodes into like hour long videos on, online. But yeah, the 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 scene, the fight between Ahsoka and Vader, and as the Sith Temple is crumbling around them, as as Ezra and Kanan are trying to get out of there. The the thing about it is, I think that's possibly one of the most badass moments that Ahsoka has gotten in either of the animated series. Mm. Is that recognition that she is not a Jedi. She mm. has grown beyond the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we talked about that a, a lot in the last episode, my, my feelings on the Jedi. I mean, she has the pure white lightsabers, and granted, there's, a, there's an in-universe reason why they're pure white, but I do like that that's this, her, her going beyond you know, Jedi and Sith that she has the pure white lightsabers. But uh but yeah, the the temple crumbles around them and and we're not sure who survived yet. We'll get to that episode. But yeah, the episode ends with Ezra opening the Sith holocron, starting his his tri- his uh path presumably to the dark side which goes nowhere because the next episode the start of season three kanan takes the sith holocron and gets rid of it like there was potential there you could have done an entire season long arc of ezra slowly turning to the dark side and then you could have gone anywhere with that but for them to just get rid of that story so early in season three, I feel it's just a wasted opportunity. Yeah. The thing is, is that, okay, so we bring Maul back, which I approve of Mm. because there were two really awesome characters that got done really dirty by George Lucas. Mm. One was Boba Fett. And one was Darth Maul. Lucas somehow has the ability to create these characters with amazing potential and then just be like, hey, let's kill him as a joke. And then fortunately, people who have more sense go like, hey, let's figure out a way to bring them back. I mean, some people like what they've done with Boba Fett and some people don't. I kind of. I, I'm kind of cool with what they've done with Boba Fett. 
Your mileage on the Book of Boba Fett as a series may vary. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has their own opinion. My opinion is I I was pretty chill with it. So, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that they brought Maul back and for the storylines in the the cartoons, Maul had kind of an interesting storyline. And it continues in Rebels. Mm-hmm. That he's trying to figure out a way to get revenge on Obi-Wan. And that's why he's looking for this holocron so that he can, you know, take out the empire that did him dirty and cast him aside. And, you know, he should have been the apprentice. And then, you know, he was thrown over for Anakin and, you know. I love that he, you know, he he says his life story to Ezra. I was stolen from my mother's arms. They killed my brother. They took my, you know, they took everything from me. And I just want revenge against the Empire for what they took. I want revenge against the Jedi for what they took. He he has a right to those feelings. Mm-hmm. Just like most of the. Jedi kids should honestly feel that way too. I mean, Rava, she has a she has a justifiable grievance. Yeah, and you always wonder why Ahsoka is never like, "Hey, these weirdos took me from my family." You know, presumably she had a family somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, Anakin, that was kind of one of his driving things is like they took me from my mom and left her in slavery. And then she ended up getting killed on a backwater planet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, And you don't really blame him for those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, But you got to wonder, like, there got to be more. Kids who grew up in the Jedi that are like, well, where the hell is my family, you know? I gotta yeah. have a mom and a dad out there somewhere. You would think Kanan would have those things, because he was a child. I did not point this out, but we actually see Kanan in the final episodes of The Clone Wars. Granted, again, this is after these episodes that have aired. We see Kanan as a child with his Jedi Master. If you go back into those final four episodes, you'll see a, like a little boy with a adult woman Jedi Master. That little boy is Kanan. And that scene is expanded on in the first episode of The Bad Batch. But Kanan, who was a child during Order 66, you would think that he had grievances over what the Jedi did. He does have grievances against the clones, which we did skip over those episodes. But you would think that he would have more grievances that he, than he does in the series. Yeah, and and that's why I I wonder, like, you know, was there a Jedi mind trick or something that was used on these kids at a very young age to kind of, you know, remove some of this stuff from them? I think, I mean, they're taken away at such a young age that they don't have the attachments to their family. Even it's mentioned in the Obi-Wan series that Obi-Wan thinks he had a brother at one time, but he didn't. They took him away before he even got to know them. So he doesn't even miss them. 
Well, but here's the thing, though, is that, you know, this is not my experience, okay? Mm-hmm. But I do have friends who have had this experience, and, you know, I, I'm not trying to speak for them. I am just relating what some people have told me. You know, I I have had friends who were adopted and never knew their their birth parents. And even though they never had an attachment to birth parents, they did grow up and want to know something about their birth parents. And I'm not saying that they were angry at their adopted parents, but there was a curiosity at the very least of, you know, how was I born? What sort of people did I come from? And at the very least, you would think that Jedi children raised in the Jedi temple might have that curiosity, if not attachment. You know what I'm saying? It could just be part of the training that just that's those feelings are removed or they're told. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe I was wondering if there was some kind of like Jedi mind trick that was used on these children to like remove that curiosity, because I think it's just part of for, for better or worse human nature to just be like, huh, I wonder where I came from. I wonder if I have siblings. I want, you know, Mm -hmm. do they, also have the force you know it's like you know you see somebody there you know you're like i wonder if they're also part of my family like am i the only you know Mm. it's i i think that's just natural part of curiosity to to wonder about a background Mm. um and I, I just think it's weird that so few of the characters that were raised in the Jedi Temple never really seemed to, you know, mm-hmm. never really seemed to to have any any sort of wonder about that. Mm. Um. And so, and I think that's different than attachment. You know, it's not like, oh, I miss my family so much as just I'm curious about where I came from. You know? I don't think Lucas or anyone writing Star Wars thinks that far ahead or thinks that critically. I don't know. Because that's something that doesn't really come up in in these stories. Like, so few even talk about their previous lives before they join the order. So, and very, you know, none of them seem to be curious about it. Who knows? Yeah. It's just, these are the sorts of things that keep me up at night. And I'm always, I always wonder like, what, wh- why don't they keep other people? up at night? <laughs> Cause I, I don't these know. are always the first things that come to my brain when I watch something like this. Cause I'm like, this, this, this is the first thing I would think about in writing a story like this. So getting back to Maul, the the thing about Maul is that he was such a great character with such great potential. And then he comes 
you know, he gets done dirty in episode one. And everybody's like, well, he's dead. And then, fortunately, somebody's like, you know that character that was really wasted in episode one? Let's bring him back. And good good for them. Um, I don't yeah, know he's got robot was, legs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was Filoni or somebody else, but whoever came up with that idea, good good idea. Now he's got robot legs. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've got Maul back, and he's got this Really interesting storyline we talked about with the Mandalorian stuff when we went through that. Mm-hmm. And then he's got the bit with Ahsoka that we've talked about in the Clone Wars stuff. And now he's got this thing with Ezra where he shows up and he just immediately starts calling him his apprentice. Which really pisses off Kanan, which I love. I just love Maul just walks in and is like, hello, my apprentice. And Kanan's like, uh, excuse me, what? You're what now? Yeah, I mean, I just love the hubris of Maul. He's just like, yeah, a nice kid. I think I'll take it, you know? (laughs) Why would this kid go with you when he can go with me? Yeah, it's like, I mean, look at me. I'm awesome, you know? (laughs) But the thing is, is I think they kind of did that story dirty because there was so much more that could be done there. We've had the, we've had the uh, Jedi Apprentice Falls to the Dark Side story because mm-hmm. that was Anakin. Mm-hmm. But we've not, and with Luke, we had the. Jedi apprentice tempted by the dark side and then resist it and go like, no, I am a Jedi like my father before me, you know, but we've not really had a Jedi apprentice fall to the dark side and then come back out of it. And like I said, that that could have been an entire season long arc and they throw it away in the first three episodes of season three. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Ezra just be like, you know what? Maul's pretty cool and he's offering me answers and power and he's not squashing my ideas. I'm going to go with him. and then. He comes to the realization, like, on his own or whatever, after falling to the dark side, you know, he has a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. I I think that would have been much cooler than Kanan stepping in and being like, no, you're, you're not, you're not going to be dark side. Give me that toy. And we'll yeah. take the toy away. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take your shiny thing. And give it to the fourth doctor. <laughs> Yeah, that that's we're we're going to get into that. But the the thing about it is that the thing of Maul just showing up and being like he's my apprentice and Kane is being like the hell he is and Maul's being like, well, you know, not yet, but soon. That had so much promise and it never panned out. And I wanted there to be a moment where Maul would be like See, I told you he was going to be my apprentice. You know? 
Mm -hmm. You're inexperienced. You're disabled. You've got nothing. Me, I am. I've had decades of training, even with my own disability. That is does not hinder me like it does with your with yours. Why would this kid stay with you? I could teach him things you would never dream of. But they don't. It's like yeah. I mean, there's it, it's the biggest wasted opportunity in the series, at least in my opinion. Because those first two episodes of season three, you can start to see that little bit of corruption there. He gets a little bit more full of him. Ezra gets a little bit more full of himself. He starts taking more risks. He deliberately disobeys orders. And he's doing it because he believes that this way is going to help the resistance, help the rebellion. Which... which, you know, he thinks is a good thing. You know, we could use the power of the dark side to defeat the Empire. And it's just, you, Kanan says, nope, yeah, I'm going to take your toy away and you're not going to be evil anymore. No evil, Ezra. Go to your room. Well, just. that is that is also how Anakin started. Mm-hmm. Because Anakin's fall to the dark side was... I can use the power of the dark side to save the people I love. And Ezra's is I can use the power of the dark side to bring down the empire. And save his friends. Yeah, yeah and, and save his friends. And I, I love the idea that the, you know, the, the path to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But... The thing is, is that Ezra never really has the choice. You know, with Mm. Luke, he had the choice. He was offered the path to the dark side and he refused. And that made Luke, you know, a, a heroic figure. You know, there's there's the emperor standing there being like, you know, come rule the galaxy, all you gotta do is kill Vader, and he's like, nope, not what I'm interested in. And that's like, okay, you know, he made the choice on his own. But with Ezra, Ezra was like, you know, hmm, dark side seems pretty good, and then Kanan steps in and is like, nope, I forbid it. And so Ezra never gets to make the moral choice because the choice is taken from him. And I think that does play into episode three when we introduce, well, let's go into him. The one in the middle, the Bendu, voiced by Tom Baker, the fourth doctor. Who sees the imbalance in Canaan, not the imbalance in Ezra. Because Canaan does not give Ezra the choice. And it's a lesson that Kanan had already learned in the second season. Because when when we, they go to the Jedi Temple and he has to fight the guardsmen, including the Grand Inquisitor, where he gets knighted, and it's a nice scene, he has to learn that he needs to trust Ezra's judgment. So now he has to relearn that lesson here. He has to trust Ezra's judgment on what path he needs to follow. 
So the test, so it's, it is one of the, again, one of the trip ups that the series had is that characters have a tendency to learn the same lessons multiple times. Which, especially with Kanan, who should know better. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm not sure how I feel about the Bendu. As as a character slash concept. I mean, it's awesome that it's voiced by Tom Baker. (laughs) I mean, we kind of I mean, I I didn't want to spoil it from last week, but yeah, we do have the now. That's why I kind of don't like don't like the term gray Jedi because it wouldn't be a Jedi. Yeah, it would be a character that is completely different. It would be something that is in the middle. The problem is that the neutrality of the Bendu is to his own detriment and to the detriment of the planet as if that comes up later in the series. Like he does not, you know, knowing that the planet is being attacked, he does nothing because he is the one in the middle. He is the one that that's not part of the fight. And it's 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 um, the good man that does nothing is the best I can describe it as. Well, ha- it's you- the um, uh, the quote that I believe is from Elie Wiesel, which is that neutrality only aids the oppressor. Mm. You know mm. that and that's and that's what Kanan tries to tell the Bendu is that, you know, you have innocent people here and you have a group of people that are trying to murder them. And the Bendu says, no, you brought your war here. You know, it's the, it's the both sides ism mm-hmm. of it and all. And they're like, you know, Hey, we're just trying to hide from a fascist re- regime. Sorry, we built our base to protect ourselves on your planet. But, you know, it's still your planet. Are you not going to defend your planet? You know? Yeah. And eventually, you know, the the Bendu just kind of lashes out at both sides. That's it. Killing you both. Yeah, which, you know, what a douche. The thing is, is that there are there are points where you can be neutral, as in with the spiders. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bindu is just like, hey, the, the spiders are just living here. Don't mess with them. They won't mess with you. And Kanan is like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. We put up, like, repulsor things that hurt the spiders, and that's why they were attacking us. It's even a lesson that Azure needs to learn, because he instantly takes out this lightsaber when he sees the spiders, because, oh, they're going to attack us. No, they won't attack you if you don't attack them. Yeah. And... So in that way, you can be neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very live and let live. Mm-hmm. You know, 
don't attack them, they won't attack you. But that's not true of the Empire. The Empire will attack you whether you attack them or not. There is no live and let live with the Empire. You know? Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, there is no neutrality with the Empire. You can't just stand back and be like, you know, well, I'm I'm neutral in in this fight because the empire doesn't care whether you're neutral or not. The empire is just there to take over everything and dominate everything and squash all resistance. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if you resist or not. You know, there is no peace with the empire. There is no ability to, you know, come to any sort of agreement with the empire you can't negotiate with the empire you can't say like well i'll just stay over here and you do whatever you want over there they are complete totalitarian expansionist you know government Mm -hmm. so if they if they find you they will conquer you or kill you, you know, or enslave you, or whatever they're going to do, there is no negotiation with the Empire. And there is no neutrality with the Empire. There is no appeasement with the Empire. It's their way or death. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas the with the spiders, the spiders just want to be spiders and live and you know they have no beef with you but the empire has beef with everybody that's not the empire mm. and that's what the bindu doesn't understand is that you cannot be neutral in all situations there are some uh, some beings that you just can't reason with one of them being the empire yeah but I love how also the Bindu sees Thrawn's eventual end. He tells Thrawn exactly how he's going to die. Well, technically well, he's, he's not die, but he tells Thrawn defeated. He's defeated. exactly the, the end of this particular series. Yeah. I see many arms wrapped around you and you will never return from... Oh, I mean, never return is a, you know, he's (laughs) not so not so close on that one, Bendu. But, yeah, Bendu does get annoying in his overuse of neutrality to the new, you know. Is there a is there a mm, I I mean, I'm trying to find the the D&D class that Bendu would fall into. I mean, true neutral, probably. Yeah. To a fault. Yeah, to 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 an absolute fault. But I mean, they got Tom Baker to voice him, and that's probably the coolest thing about him is the fact that they got a doctor to voice this character. Now, granted, David Tennant also voiced the character in in Clone Wars. We we never talked about him, but I do like the idea that there was a Doctor Who actor who came back to play a different incarnation of the Doctor who also played a character in Star Wars. If I had a nickel, two nickels, yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, let's let's finish up the small storyline because they have the that the the two holocrons. They put it together. Ezra and Maul both get half the message of the question that they're looking for. Maul asks, "Is he alive?" And Ezra asks, "How do I destroy the Sith?" And they both come up with the same answer, but they only have part of the answer. Ezra has twin sons, and all Maul knows is that he lives. And even if you, I mean, who would Maul want to kill? You, if you've been following Star Wars, you kind of know who he wants to kill. Which uh, eventually leads us into uh, Visions and Voices, Season 3, Episode 11, where they finally get the other piece of the puzzle for each other by going to Dathomir, Maul's home planet. And we get some uh, some ghost Sith, uh, some ghost force witches, the the Night Sisters. And I do feel bad that we did skip all of that from Clone Wars because those are some great characters. And again, uh, I, I don't know if, if we'll ever go back to Clone Wars again, but if we do, that would be the for the for the Night Sisters stuff. But uh, they each get their respective, you know, they both get the end of the message. You know, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, Planet with Twin Sons. And we find out that Maul still has the Darksaber and Sabine gets the Darksaber. And she does end up training with it. So she does know how to wield a lightsaber. And and of course, eventually, the Darksaber is put into the hands of Bo-Katan Kryze. And you you know the rest if you watch The Mandalorian. So Sabine at least knows how to handle a lightsaber. Something uh, as we are recording this episode, they did release the character posters for Ahsoka, which shows Sabine with a lightsaber. So she knows how to wield one. But I, I do want to get to what I consider to be one of the best episodes of the series and it really is only the best episode of the series because of the buildup of the other episodes. Twin Sons, where it's our one and only animated appearance of old Obi-Wan. As both Ezra and Maul end up going on Tatooine to find Obi-Wan. Ezra is there to warn him. Maul's there to kill him. Sir Alec Guinness is no longer with us, hasn't been with us in a long time. But the person they have to play old Obi-Wan, to voice old Obi-Wan, does a pretty dang good job of impersonating the voice. Yeah, I do agree with that. But yeah, the uh, there's there's that great speech, you know, Ezra, I mean, the Obi-Wan telling Ezra, you're not supposed to be here. Your fate is not here. Your fate is with the Rebellion. Maul tricked you. Maul used your want to to save your friends to protect the rebellion to take down the empire and twisted it to give him what he wanted which was me i never planned to fight maul ever again i don't have that choice now thank you very much but uh you 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 should go you're not supposed to be here this is not your (laughs) for lack of a better term he's telling he's telling ezra being here is not your story this is not your story kid Ezra gets out of there, and then we get the final battle between Maul and Obi-Wan. And 
the fight is not very long because it can't be. But the dialogue between Maul and Obi-Wan, I love it. Like, maybe I should just leave you here to your squalor. Look what happened to you. The once great Obi-Wan Kenobi reduced to being a hermit in the desert. Why are you here? Are you protecting something? Are you protecting someone? And I love the facial animations on old Obi-Wan just lighting his lightsaber up. Because you know what he's there for. You know who he's protecting. And Obi-Wan knows he needs to finish this fight as fast as possible. Because if, one, he is old. He is, granted, we're not sure how long the lifespan is for Maul's race. But we know the lifespan of a human. And Obi-Wan is not as young as he used to be. So he cannot afford to drag this fight out very long. So he makes it very short and very sweet. Three strikes, Maul's dead. Yeah, and this was the thing that really kind of annoyed me. Because you bring back Maul and you give him, like, a great storyline. And then you have him go down like a punk again. Which was the problem in the first time, was that he went down like a punk. But at least in this one, there was a reason for it. And it wasn't just, we need to we need to wrap this movie up. It's just, if Obi-Wan doesn't make this fight quick, Luke could be in trouble. But also, Obi-Wan does not have the strength he used to to make this a long fight. And also, the fight was not the selling point. It's the interaction between the two. These two old enemies coming to their own terms with each other. Obi-Wan even says it. I did not want to fight Maul. But now I don't have a choice. I don't know. I like it. Especially the the, the psych out. Because you see Obi-Wan start out in that stance... From his younger self pulling the lightsaber back. And then he kind of slowly turns into having that old man Obi-Wan straight stance. And then shifting the his hands back into, into Qui-Gon Jinn's stance. To kind of put, um, put Maul into that false sense of security. Because he tries the same trick. That he does against Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan sees it coming. Which he does that th- those three strikes. And that's enough. And then he holds. Maul in his arms. The man that killed the woman he loved. Holding him in his arms. Ha- so he can have some comfort. In his final moments. Is it the chosen one? He is. He will avenge us all. I don't know. I like that it was the how that's I liked it. Uh, I can see why you didn't, but at least for me, I I definitely uh, I found it satisfactory. I mean, I liked his final lines, mm-hmm. but yeah, fair enough. 
But, you know, so ends the tale of Darth Maul. I thought it was such a punk way to go out that I actually, like, looked it up in the wiki to be like, is that really the way he went out? Because I couldn't believe it. I mean, how would you have had Obi-Wan, um, how would you have had Maul go out if they had, if they gave you that assignment? This is, you have one episode to wrap up Maul and Obi-Wan. I'm not sure I would have had Maul find Obi-Wan. I think it would have been more interesting for Maul's story to have ended frustrated Fair enough. You know, t- taken out by someone or something else rather than by Obi-Wan, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe taken out by his own hubris or... Ezra? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I would have even given it to, to Ezra, maybe. Although that would have been an interesting... Had they gone down the, like, Ezra fell to the dark side and then had redemption, that that could have been a good ending. But, yeah. Okay, we've delayed it long enough. Let's talk Thrawn! Kiki, this is the part that you've been looking forward to the most ever since Ahsoka said in The Mandalorian, where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? Because the moment that episode aired, that's all I've been hearing from you. Oh, my God, they brought Thrawn into into the shows. They're bringing Thrawn in here. Again, we've mentioned that you are a fan of the original EU. You still have the original EU books. What did you think of how Thrawn was interpreted in Rebels? I like parts of it, but I think they missed a couple of tricks. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that it will be a little bit better in live action because I think a lot of stuff has been rendered better in live action, like I said. Um, so in the books, and I don't know ha- how much you read any of the books, the o- the older ones. Not many. <laughs> okay. So in the books... Thrawn was portrayed as a very calculating, almost, mm, forgive me for saying it, but like Moriarty kind of figure. He was incredibly calculating and incredibly smart and frequently kind of one step ahead. And also he was one of the, he was like the only imperial that did not rule through fear. He was the one who people followed him because they believed in him. So I didn't feel that that part of it. Now, I don't know if when Zahn wrote the new officially canon ones, because I only read like the heir to the empire EU stuff, okay? The the, the 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 sour part about that is that he had to write them around the episodes of Rebels. Yeah. So like okay, this is going to have to take this one book has to take place between these two episodes, which hurt the books. 
Yeah. But as far as characterization, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so I don't know if they forced Zahn to change his characterization, but as far as the original Thrawn, people in under his command tended to follow him because they were true believers, not because they were afraid if they didn't, they were going to get force choked. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like when we see other Imperials under other commands, they always seem terrified that they're if they don't do what they're supposed to, they're going to get tortured or thrown in Imperial prison or murdered or whatever. So the Empire tends to run on fear and backstabbing. And, you know, if I if I'm caught not doing what I'm supposed to, somebody's going to rat me out. But in the original EU books that Zahn wrote, which, remember, those took place after the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's the heir to the Empire. Okay? So he was the one that survived and was picking up the pieces of the Empire. Okay? Supposedly but, Palpatine's chosen one. Yeah, but the reason why he survived and was able to pick up the pieces was because his group were true believers in him. Um, and so he inspired loyalty and not fear. And when I watched Rebels, he's not as cruel as most Imperials. And I'm glad that they did that. But you don't really feel that people are following him out of loyalty either. And that's what kind of irked me. Is that the original Thrawn that I'm used to. Inspired loyalty and a sense of. For better or worse wording here. Patriotism for the idea of the Empire. They were the true believers in the Empire. And so they weren't doing it just because they, like, fell into a bad situation and now they were like, oh, crap, if I don't keep going along with this, I'm going to get murdered. They were like, no, 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 the Empire is the good thing. We're we're doing good for the universe. All hail Thrawn, you know? Like, that's that's what Thrawn's group was. Um, and I didn't really feel that in Rebels. So I don't it it felt like kind of half thrown in the fact that he was smart and calculating and devious. And I liked that they brought that part in. Mm-hmm. He had that kind of Moriarty supervillain kind of thing. But I didn't get the feeling you still had the feeling that everybody was afraid of him rather than loyal to him. And I wanted to see the Thrawn that was inspiring his troops rather than terrifying his troops. Because that was the thing that was always interesting to me about Thrawn was that people were following him because they believed in him rather than that they were just afraid he was going to murder them. 
I mean, we're, we even see some of that in The Mandalorian. Granted, it's like one one episode where they mention Thrawn. And supposedly his followers are like, yeah, Thrawn ain't doing crap. Why are we following him? We should. And, you know, it's it's I mean, that's whole Moff Gideon's whole thing is Thrawn ain't doing crap. You should all follow me. Well, when I saw that, I was like, well, that's because Gideon is Thrawn's rival. He wants to take over like Thrawn's position. So, like, it's not like, it's not like he's loyal to Thrawn. He's, he's, you know, trying to get people to leave Thrawn. So, I, I could buy that because I was like, okay, you know, he's the punk that's trying to usurp the throne. But when you see in Rebels, like, the, um the governor lady and stuff. Mm-hmm. She always seems just terrified of Thrawn and stuff rather than like wanting to please him or being down with his plans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't feel like the right dynamic for a follower of Thrawn to me. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe they've retconned it in, like, the new stuff that Zahn has written or or whatever, because I haven't read that stuff. But it did not... Half of it felt like the Thrawn that I remember, and half of it was, like, missing for me. So, I'm hoping that maybe in the live-action stuff, when he comes back, he'll have, like rallied a loyal force or something wherever he's been off to after the space whale thing. I mean, it's been a few years, so he may have gotten some loyalists on his side. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of hoping that's what it's going to be that like, maybe they're setting up like he was just a random, you know, Imperial. And after whatever's been going on, wherever he's been he's now got like a group of fierce loyalists and now he's the thrawn i remember i mean it's a good way to explain why thrawn was not around during the original trilogy because we end the series just months away from the battle of yavin so it's it's a not it's again it's one of those paint ourselves into a corner situations we want thrawn in this series, which takes place years before he's supposed to be introduced, now we need to get rid of him so we can introduce him at the point where he's supposed to be introduced. Yeah. Also, there was a... It's kind of weird that Thrawn existed at all because Thrawn is a Chiss. And... The Empire, as we have discussed before, is incredibly xenophobic and very human centered. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they would have a Chiss Grand Admiral was always kind of weird. And it made sense in the original EU that he would be in such a high position 
because most of the empire had been wiped out and he was now stepping into this void Hmm. because now he was fighting the new republic you know and yeah in the original books they were like oh he's the last of the grand admirals or whatever it was kind of weird even then because you're like well it's still kind of a weirdly xenophobic you know mm-hmm. but it, it was kind of weird then but like it makes more sense for Thrawn to have kind of stepped into that position in the vacuum after the Battle of Endor mm-hmm. than it does for Thrawn to be like one of the main dudes of the Empire under Palpatine. You know? They do try to cover it up that his first appearance in the show is he's recently promoted to Grand Admiral. But uh, should he have been a Grand Admiral in this series? I don't know. I mean, I just, I find it weird that Palpatine would have any non-human be in such a high position. Mm -hmm. Because it is stated over and over and over again how much the Empire hates non-humans. I, I don't know. And the fact that they say that he was personally promoted by the Emperor himself. Which, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, again, it's... it's I don't know. I, maybe I don't, he did a favor for Palpatine or something. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe he's just really that good at being a tactical genius or what. Well, that has always been the story, is that he was the most incredible tactical genius that the Empire had. And he got out, outsmarted by a teenager. Yeah, that's that's the one thing they did him really dirty on. Like... I get one thing I like, you know, he's already, you know, um, Thrawn is always three steps ahead of the rebels in the series, which I do like. He's all he already knows what they're going to do before they do it. And I like the way that he 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 figures it out. He figures out by, oh, I can study the artwork of the people that's that's part of the rebellion and I can see where they get their plans from because they're basing it on their beliefs and you can see their beliefs through their artwork. Man of fine art, Mr. Thrawn. Once again, that's the the Moriarty, you know, uh, not to be too silly about it with the, the Mickelson thing but you know Hannibal Lecter (laughs) a Mm -hmm. bit of it Um, you know he's the really smart supervillain and he's into art you know if Star Wars had classical music he'd constantly be listening to it but you know also you know well we'll let them win this battle because destroying them now isn't going to get us anywhere. We need we need to find where their base is. We need the entire rebel fleet destroyed in one go, rather than destroying this small group in right now. 
also fully aware that there is a double agent in his midst and then waiting until like the very end to say, oh, oh, are you sending a message to your friends? Yeah. They're not going to get it. Yeah, Captain Mutton Chops over there sending his... Callus, yeah. it's weird. Callus is a really great, interesting character because Callus was one of the first villains in the first season. And then by the time we get to season three, he's already defected. He may have already been a double agent from the get-go, but... You know, the fact that his story is that he was one of the people that was leading the extermination of Zeb's people. And Zeb still kind of has some resentment of, for, for him for that. But by the end of the season, they're kind of cool with each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you tried to kill all my people, but you're on our side now. Water under the bridge. Yeah, and I discovered that part of the story in the final episode as... They were like, and then he discovered he didn't murder all of Zeb's people. And I was like, he he what now? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we get for skipping, uh, skipping three-fourths of the series. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, uh, Callus being the, the, the spy and then that, that whole thing. But, you know, uh, let's just kind of... Go right into the the, the end of the, of the series here. One thing that <laughs> it was hard for me to to recommend, but I kind of had to because the final half of season four is one continuous story, so you just can't go pick and choose episodes because Hera gets kidnapped, Kanan dies, and then we have to get the 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 Force Wolves, and then we get the World Between Worlds. And that's how Ahsoka lives, because Ezra saved her by, yeah, Star Wars has time travel now. Let's just talk about the world between worlds, because that's one one of the major reasons I want to do Rebels in, in the first place, because this is where we learn about the world between worlds. Ezra goes to the remains of the Jedi Temple on Lethal, and we get another, uh, you know, the father, the, the the son and the daughter show up again. And they lead Ezra to the world between worlds. And it's a great scene where you see Ezra going through this world and you're hearing all of these quotes from all of these characters from all over the Star Wars universe, past, present and future. Because you get a little bit of the prequels, a few lines from the prequels, you get a few lines from the original trilogy you get a few lines from characters from Clone Wars, from Rebels, from from the sequel trilogy, because the sequel trilogy is out at this point. And you get Rogue One, because Rogue One just came out, and they're having lines from Rogue One in there. So it's 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 a great moment of them using clips from all of the movies and all of the shows up until this point to show you that you could, this is really is the center of the Star Wars universe. What's your opinion on the world between worlds as a concept? I don't know because they didn't really go into it that much. The, the problem with the idea is that, you know, it's like 23 minute episodes and we spend like 
one and a half episodes in this they do, place. Yeah, they do kind of bring the concept back in in the final episode with, with the Palpatine hologram. Like, you can have your family back. All you have to do is open the gateway. But it's like, I, I don't know, it's like it's Stargate time travel or something. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling they didn't really think it out too much. They just were like, well, we kind of left Ahsoka in a really bad situation and we don't know how to get her out of there. So um, time travel portal Jedi temple question mark. Sure. So, yeah, we, we we flash back to the Vader Ahsoka fight. Ezra reaches through the portal, pulls pulls Ahsoka out of time, saves her. He tries to save Kanan, but he's talked out of it. It's like, you know, you, you, you can't change history. If you pull, if you save Kanan, then you'll die because the only reason you live was because Kanan sacrificed himself. And then you get Palpatine, who also wants the world between worlds. I mean, the idea... The concept isn't bad. It just, it's too much for a 24-minute episode. Like, again, this could have been a season-long story arc, and they dump it right at the end of season four, and maybe they planned on something more. Maybe they planned a season five where this would become a bigger deal. I don't know. It's It's too big a concept to be thrusted in this late into the season. But you're right, they needed to find, they needed to make sure Ahsoka lived, and that whole thing was just so Ahsoka could live. The thing about it is, I don't mind time travel, I don't mind multiverses, I I don't mind complicated stories, but you need to establish rules, and you need to set it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can't do high concept sci-fi and just be like, I mean, this is another somehow Palpatine survived mm. to me. It's just like somehow the Jedi have time travel. And it's like, uh, I'm sorry, but number one, this is a show for like seven year olds. Okay. You you gotta like I am a I am a woman in her forties with a master's degree in you know basically media analysis. Okay. So I understand and even teach these concepts to other people and yet i still have questions you are writing a show for children and while we have said many times before please do not underestimate the intelligence of children you do have to remember that children do not know all the genre tropes of everything from birth Okay, you you have to ease them into this stuff. This is going to be baby's first 
time travel for somebody, okay? Give them something. I'm not saying you have to go into great detail, but if it confused me a little bit, and this is kind of what I do, both as a hobby and a profession, (laughs) (laughs) um, maybe you needed to flesh this out a little bit more. Mm. So that, that was the thing. That was the thing for me is that I liked the, I didn't mind the concept being inserted into star Wars, but I needed it to be given more, more time. Mm. No pun intended. You know, I, I need, I needed them to flesh it out more. It's possible because season season three is only like 15, 16 episodes and the other seasons are 20 episodes plus. It's possible that they just got episodes cut. And they really had to cram whatever their story arc for the world between worlds was going to be cram it into one episode. And it doesn't work. It's too it's too much for one episode. Like I said, this could have been a season-long story arc, and they just did not have the time to properly do this. Okay, I said this to you off mic, and neither of us really knew Mm -hmm. the answer to this, but it felt to me like they were expecting to do more. It's possible. I'm going to say it's possible that they were expecting a season five. It's just they were not given that. So okay, now we need to wrap up our may our storylines here. And even then it feels incomplete. Because I mean, let's just fast forward to the final episode here, Family Reunion and Farewell, where it they make their last stand. They even say we're not fighting for freedom of the universe. We're just fighting for the freedom of this one planet, which is Ezra's homeworld, the Thal. It's the final battle between the ghost crew, all of the friends they've made throughout the entire series, and Thrawn. The idea isn't terrible. The idea that, you know, we're doing this for Ezra and everyone is saying, you know, I will fight and I will die for this kid. This is what I'm going to do. Which is it's a nice motion. Again, I wish we had had more time to watch more episodes to get to understand all of these characters and their connection to Ezra, but we didn't. Otherwise, this episode would not be coming out on time. Well, but, here's the thing, though, is that that's not a thing that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, the when you're talking about the Ridge Tridge, okay, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got the whole thing of like, here is the the rebellion and we're fighting the empire to take down the entire empire for the whole galaxy. But I think it's very interesting to show like we are fighting for this one planet, you know, settlement, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I loved about 
Andor and Mandalorian and stuff like that is that it takes the idea of the rebellion and is like the rebellion is not just the grand thing of like Luke has to get in his X-Wing and blow up the Death Star and that's what stops the Empire. Okay? The Rebellion is like every group on every planet that is resisting. Mm -hmm. Big and small. Mm -hmm. And so I liked, I think my favorite thing about Rebels was when it stopped being about like, let's steal stuff to fund the greater rebellion or whatever. And when it kind of focused on like, hey, this one planet matters. It may not be the center of the rebellion, but there are good people who live here and they are under the boot of the Empire. Mm. This may not turn the tide of the entire war, but it will turn the tide of this planet. Which I liked. I honestly, once it got that focus, like right there at the very end, I was like, Honestly, I would have kind of liked if this had been the whole show. It kind of is. Again, we are we skipped a lot of this, but most of the of the series takes place on Lethal, and it's them trying to liberate it. And this is like the final battle. It's just you know we had to deal with with Maul and Ahsoka and Thrawn, which was a which which took the characters into a bigger part of the story. But but I, I'm just I'm just gonna say I mean if that is then fair play to it okay mm-hmm. because that was the thing that I really did like mm-hmm. uh, about those final episodes was that it kind of really got a focus on we may not be able to save the entire universe but maybe we can save this one people mm-hmm. which I really liked I kind of weirdly for a galactic story i like star wars better when it kind of focuses on small things yeah um Mm -hmm. but the thing that i i liked most was that once you got that kind of niche focus it really brought home what the rebellion is about. And I, I like that because like I said, the reason why I loved things like Rogue One and Andor and even, you know, parts of Mandalorian or, or whatever is that it takes it away from the kind of, great man theory Mm -hmm. of the original star Wars, which is like, Oh, we really needed, you know, Luke to come in, you know, or Luke and Leia and Han maybe, or, you know, whatever, like this small group of special people, you know? And it's like, well, no, it's really just a bunch of regular people working together. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, 
it, it that is the heart of the rebellion is just ordinary people coming together for that for for that common good and the fact that it's this crew this small crew fighting against this part of the empire fighting against thrawn the master tactician and all that stuff and you know the fact that the emperor himself is, wants to meet with with Ezra and again we we get that small piece of the world between worlds trying to trying to tempt Ezra to the dark side and it doesn't work and I, I do like that there's that part where 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 Palpatine manipulates the hologram to make himself look like his prequel self yeah. And then when everything goes wrong, the 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 hologram fizzes out and it turns into um, original trilogy Palpatine. Yeah. But this whole thing is the you know they have the the, the rebels have their plan to to destroy this 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 imperial fortress on 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 Lothal. but the main thing is Ezra making the sacrifice play. He leaves his lightsaber with Chopper. He goes off to Thrawn. They have their conversation. And here come the space whales again. Many arms wrapped around you as, you're, as you are defeated. And as the Pergil are wrapping their tentacles around Thrawn. And we find out, I mean, from the earlier episode, we see that the Pergil can travel into hyperspace. And it's like Ezra knew he was never coming back. Like they all say, hey, Ezra, get out of there. Nah, yeah, I was never getting out of here. I need to take out Thrawn, and this is the only way. Hence, like I said, the master tactician of the Empire, the heir to the Empire, is outsmarted by a teenager. Maybe he wasn't outsmarted by a teenager so much as he was outsmarted by space whales. Fair enough. But who summoned the space whales? Well, I don't know. Maybe the space whales can see into the future, and they were like, "Hey, if you ever meet a blue dude, uh, call us. Mm-hmm. We hate that guy." <laughs> but yeah, as 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 Ezra and Thrawn are pushed out into who knows where, and this is zero BBY months before the Death Star is destroyed. You know, we get one more thing that does get that does play into the new series. Chopper gives Sabine Ezra's lightsaber, which, according to the trailers, she still has. And apparently Ahsoka has been training her with it. So, as far as I'm aware and as far as the series has told us, Sabine is not Force-sensitive. But that doesn't mean she can't handle a lightsaber. But then uh, we get the five years later time skip to just after the Battle of Endor... And we see where all the characters are at. Uh, apparently Hera, uh, I didn't know that this was possible, but apparently a human and a Twi'lek can reproduce because now there's a kid here. Which was also weird to me because she was like, oh, I have feelings for you. And then suddenly there's a baby and I'm like, oh, Apparently we run on like Kif Croker rules or something where like all you have to do is like have feelings and touch somebody's hand and you're pregnant. I mean, also, this is a show for seven year olds. So, 
you know, they're not going to show them, like, doing anything. Yeah. So I guess just being like, I have feelings for you meant they were, like, you know, doing stuff. So, yeah, we uh, there, there's a kid here. I don't know if this kid is going to show up in the new show. But that did cause some controversy because people were like, how can a human in a Twi'lek conceive a child? I didn't know that was possible, but Filoni wanted us to have a happy ending, I suppose. I mean, but, I, I don't really know how that's a happy ending, but okay. That, that, that Kanan lives on through his son. But that final scene with, uh, as you said before we got on mic, Ahsoka the White. Yeah, I mean, Ahsoka just shows up out of nowhere. I mean, I guess she eventually found her way out of the the Sith Temple and is like, hey, what's up? I died and came back as Ahsoka the White. So there's this dude. I, I met another Mandalorian. His name is Din. Do you know a guy named Din? Hangs around with a little green dude. Looks like Yoda. Mo-Katan I mean, is hi. this supposed to be after Mandalorian? When she I mean, shows up as a Circle of the White? It's 5ABY. It's after the Battle of Endor. But it's never stated that far. And also, that's kind of the same timeline as Mandalorian Season 1. So... Your guess is as good as mine because it looks like they're recreating this scene in the new show because we see that same mural that 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 uh, Sabine paints of of the ghost crew. And she also has that that short hair that she does in, in, in that final scene. So I don't know. Are they picking up directly at that point? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. But the thing is, is like I it feels so much like they were expecting another season because it ends with like we got to go find Ezra and then they walk off and the series doesn't so much end as just stop. It's possible. I think. I think you're right. I think they did expect the season five. Hence, they did the time jump because they wanted to have these characters after the events of the original trilogy. But then the show got got canceled. So I don't know. But, you know, that'd be, I mean, as, 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 as I stated, Filoni is pretty much saying that the Ahsoka series is essentially Rebel season five. Picking up where the series left off. And Clone Wars season wherever we are now. Yeah. Who knows? One thing that I did, you know, one this the series did give uh, give one meme that I did like is that there is an there's an episode where we get Captain Rex back and he's got a gray beard and he's wearing the same kind of outfit that they wore on Endor and people have wondered if he's the same because there's also a character in Star Wars that wears that outfit and has a gray beard and fans have thought for a while that that was Rex like retroactively making this character Rex uh, I believe Lucas has uh, Lucasfilm has say, stated that it's not but it's a nice uh, it's a nice little little shout out there 
And they even say that Sabine fought in the Battle of Endor. So I guess you can go back and see if if there's if any of the ships resemble the ghosts. <laughs> they did have the ghost in Rogue One. That's one thing I, d- I do remember that them doing. So in one of the scenes of Rogue One, you could see the ghosts in one of the scenes. That's about um, it. Right up, yeah, right and uh, it's also in um, Rise of Skywalker. Mm. It's yeah, it's in that um, that big battle where they have like all of the ships. That huge battle. Where they bring in like every ship ever, mm-hmm. um, and then um, I know they put um, one of the one of the um, uh, one of the Jedi that Ray hears in that yeah. like big. It's Kanan, yeah, yeah, in that big thing is is Kanan. where Ray's hearing the voices of all the Jedi being like, "You can beat Palpatine." Yeah, it's it's uh it's Kanan and it's Ahsoka. So that's that that was a nice nah they're you know keeping this this series canon. But uh we've been talking for about two hours, so I think it's time we wrap it up here. Kiki does Star Wars Rebels have the magic? I mean, occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's it's still not I'm still not a fan of the Star Wars cartoons. It's I, I think there's more problems than there is goods. Fair enough. I mean, I wasn't expecting to turn you to loving them. I just it's more of here is context for the series that they're likely not going to tell you. <laughs> the thing is, is I really wanted to like them because I, I hate not not being super down with anything Star Wars. Mm. It It hurts me to not like something Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I mean, for me, and I, I said this about last week. I'm not I'm not a fan of the art style of the CG Star Wars series, Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch, what have you. I like but, this animation better than I like the Clone Wars animation. I'll, I'll say. Like I said, I art style still not my my cup of tea, but I did enjoy the stories that they were told. Maybe if we had and more time to go through the whole series, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say you would love it or not, but whatever. Again, you're entitled to your own opinion. If you did not, you know, you, dear listener, not a fan of the Star Wars animated stuff, fair enough. If you love it more than the live action stuff, fair enough. Uh, Yeah, that's the best I can say on that. So to me, Rebels has the magic. I do love the show. Um, I'm going to probably get hate for this, but I do prefer it over Clone Wars. Maybe beca- because it is a more focused show on a central group of characters versus jumping around to different characters in different episodes. But that's just me. Your mileage may vary. Uh, we'll see what they decide to do for the new series. What they keep, what they dump, and where they go from here. Uh, let's do the, one more thing real quick before we go. Uh, let's. I want we 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 didn't mention it, but I do want to go back to that season one episode 
because Paul Rubens passed away, we do a we did make a quick cameo in episode three of season one as Captain Rex the droid in the in the Star Tours ride vehicle with C three PO and R two D two in it. His performance was not as vibrant as it would be on the ride. It's more subdued. But considering that this is technically before the timeline of the original ride, I can get it. But it does kind of go against the ride saying, it's your first ride and it's mine too. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad they had him in there mm-hmm. because it was it was very cute and it was I, I like him making the droids go back behind the the yellow line and stuff like that in yeah. there droids so, in the back like who made that rule the empire these are the emperor's rules ma'am and then slides down the visor as he's like he's putting on sunglasses yeah. Again, that's the it's it's five minutes, but it's it's a great five minutes to have Paul Rubens, his character actually immortalized in visual Star Wars media. May his memory be a blessing. Yeah, may his memory be a blessing. So let's move on to next week. Kiki, it's 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 that time of year again. It's time to go back to school. Ah, dang it. But but we're not going to go to regular school. We're going to go to superhero school. Sky High. Which is basically Avengers Academy before Disney bought Marvel. We've been talking about doing this one for a while, so honestly, I'm I can't wait to uh, talk about this one. Yeah, another you know another one of the attempts that Disney made to try to do with something with superheroes. I believe this came up before the Marvel they own Marvel, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't remember the year, but we're gonna go back to it. Yeah, come back next week for Sky High, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on X at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.